Good evening. What a pleasure. It was a long drive. And for the first hour or so, I thought, am I crazy? Did I not plan correctly? I could have stayed home and given a talk over Zoom, as we've been doing for the last three years. After about an hour, because, because Zazen teaches us to understand what's going on in our own minds, right? Zazen teaches us to wake up in the moment, and I realized what I was doing. It was pointless. I thought, oh, you could be, you're driving down the avenue of the giants. You could be enjoying the giants. And then sitting here tonight, I mean, I got the most wonderful welcome. These people, wonderful, wonderful welcome. And I was sitting there, and on Zoom you can't see, but there, there's a wall of windows and then folding screens. And above the screens, these trees are blowing in the wind. I'm sorry, I didn't get my eyes downcast for the, because I, because the trees. So I'm feeling really happy to be alive. Not so usual, is it? Isn't life usually more like, are you stupid? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I brought I brought Suzuki Roshi. I like to play it safe. Suzuki Roshi says, I do not feel like speaking after Zazen. I feel the practice of Zazen is enough. We could all just sit and look at those trees. Suzuki Roshi says, but if I must say something, I think I would like to talk about how wonderful it is to practice Zazen. Our purpose is just to keep this practice forever. This practice, this practice started from beginningless time, and it will continue into an endless future. Strictly speaking, for a human being, there is no other practice than this practice. There is no other way of life than this way of life. Zen practice is the direct expression of our true nature. Welcome, John. Pretty good, huh? I mean, it's really, wow. It's wow. I brought another reading. It's a koan from Issa. I got it from I got it from a friend who's also a Soto Zen priest in South Carolina. Issa, 18th century poet. A world of dew, and within every dewdrop, a world of struggle. So what is our problem? You guys don't have to write it down. Just write down, Zazen helps, and then you can put your, I mean, that's the whole story. Did you write it down? Okay, good. A world of dew, and within every dewdrop, a world of struggle. So. What is preventing me from always being able to see the trees moving in the wind when the trees are moving in the wind? What is my problem? This is the question that the man 
known as Siddhartha Gautama addressed. Um, this is the this is the man 2,500 years ago. Probably true. At least enough of this story is true. Um, he became the person we call Shakyamuni Buddha. In the process of becoming, he tried the spiritual practices of his time, and he realized that following that path was going to kill him, so that was going to be counterproductive. So he went to a place called that we now call Bodh Gaya, sat under a tree, and my interpretation of what he said was, he said, I'm not getting up until until I understand what is going on around here. What is the nature of reality? Why is life such a struggle? Why is there so much suffering? So the thing about Siddhartha Gautama, who became Shakyamuni Buddha, is it worked. He understood. And I love what Suzuki Roshi said. the Siddhartha Gautama, he didn't invent something. People had been meditating. People had been studying for centuries before. When we, when we chant the names of the ancestors, we chant the seven Buddhas before Buddha. So it's been going on for a long time. So what did he do? Let's say he got so calm that he was... There's a beautiful poem, in fact, by Sung Sun Im. It says, the Buddha woke and he saw the morning star. The Buddha woke and he saw the trees moving in the wind and he absolutely believed his eyes. Mm-hmm. Nothing extra, no more stories. No, he absolutely believed his eyes. So Shakyamuni Buddha, as he was then, shared his understanding for many years. He directly responded to the question of why is life so hard? And his response is what's called the Four Noble Truths. Shakyamuni Buddha said, the reason life is so hard for you is because of all these attachments. When I was when I was mm, living at Zen Center, we liked to tease each other with these understandings. So if I, if I lost my pink cashmere sweater, and someone would say, oh, you're just too attached. But this, I, I, I've been thinking about this attachment thing for a long time. This seems to be really key, right? So, so what? Here's my current theory. My problem is I'm so attached to myself. When David Chadwick asked Suzuki Roshi very politely if he could summarize all of Buddhism, Suzuki Roshi, everyone in the room laughed except for Suzuki Roshi, and Suzuki Roshi took it seriously, and his answer was, okay, you can write this down, the summary of all Buddhism everything changes just that simple i am attached to do i really think i change <laughs> do i really the teachings of emptiness say i actually don't exist do i believe that no 
again, thinking about this driving down, am I the same person now as I was when I got into my Prius this morning? No. Something feels pretty substantial, though. That is what I'm attached to. I'm attached to Renshin buns. I've gone to a lot of trouble <laughs> to create Renshin buns, and I'm not about to surrender. We live, we live, Suzuki Roshi also is a good one too, as um, I have had a sitting group for quite a few years, and what we do in my sitting group is the classic. We sit, very important, and then we read one of the talks from a book, usually Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. So that means I have had the opportunity to do a very close reading of these talks several times. It's a joke that Suzuki Roshi is always saying, the most important thing is, <laughs> and it's always something different. He thinks a lot of things are important. But what I say from a number of close readings of this extremely important book is what Suzuki Roshi keeps coming back to is, if you want to stop suffering, stop creating duality. He keeps going back to that, no duality, no duality. So in this attachment to the fabulousness that is me, I create a duality, I create a universe in which there is me and there's everything else. Doesn't that feel kind of familiar? And isn't that, and then I go, oh, I'm so lonely. <laughs> we, who, who created the cage, right? I did, I love, there's an image of uh, the mirror that's covered with dust. And we, in Zazen, because Zazen's really key here, we blow off the dust and then we can see. We can see two things. We can see the face of the Buddha. There's not another Buddha. We can see the face of the Buddha. And at the same time, see the face of the one who's creating our suffering. It's not anyone on the outside. It's conditioning. It's habits. It's my mother said. It's I read it on Facebook. It's a wonderful one of the old Zen Center guys, Michael Wenger. And Michael does this great calligraphy. And um, one of my favorites of Michael's calligraphy says, help is not on the way. <laughs> it's an inside job. So, so I'm happy with that setup. I hope you are too. Life is hard. The Buddha taught why life is hard. The Buddha talked about attachments. And my current position, this will change, but my current thinking, my current understanding, is that the attachment is to an independent, permanent self. We can sit here and I can say that over and over. I can write a book about it. But it doesn't make any difference if we can't live it. So how do we do that? You know, these, you, you read this, 
and to the extent that you can understand it, <laughs> I got this book I, in 1978, I went to Green Gulch and I had lunch with Richard Baker and I got this copy of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And I was pretty hopeful about the whole thing because I was dying of alcoholism. I didn't know yet that that's what it was, but I knew I was in serious trouble. I got that, and Richard Baker, whatever, he just made fun of me. But I got this book and I'm just like, this is no help. All he's talking about is meditation. I can't meditate, not with a mind like mine. So it was a few years before I came back to this book. So we can read it in a book, and how to, but how do we live it? How do, how, how do the teachings make a difference in our life? What's the answer? <laughs> it's Zazen. It is the, the, the gift of seated meditation that leads us has led me to a certain extent to understand my own mind and not to have to react immediately to everything it says it comes up with some really weird stuff <laughs> to be able to to be able to once i said to my teacher i heard it in aa and i said to my teacher you know the thing is that there's, there's an action, and then on my part, there's a reaction. And what I want to do is catch it. I want to catch that space. And Steve said, uh, uh, no, it's more automatic than that. This is, a, this is a matter of developing the intuition that we've needed so badly. There's Zazen. Learning our own minds, learning to sit still. I love to, when I teach meditation, I promise people, if we can learn to hold our bodies still, and that means holding our bodies still, not scratching, not shifting, no comfort seeking, holding our bodies still, I promise, because the body and the mind are not separate, the mind will be more still. This is wonderful. We don't have to do anything but sit still, which takes some effort. The other, another of the gifts is vow. Hmm. The power of vow, of standing up and saying yes. I, was, I took part in an ordination up at Arcata Zen Group recently, and it was, oh, it was so wonderful to be doing that again and to hear the requests that are made of us when we become a priest. <laughs> it goes on and on. Will you do this? Yes. Will you do this? Yes. <laughs> wow. But what does it all come down to? Let's make it simple. Be helpful. Don't be so selfish. Learn to think about other people. Vow. So, uh, my story, after I got sober, I got so, I was such a citizen. It was just terrible. I had high heels and red fingernails and a Mercedes. It was just, oh. And I was so, my mind was still so <sighs> chatty that I, uh, I began to meditate. I realized, really, I'd done a lot of 12-step work, 
and I'd had a lot of therapy, and there was only one thing left, and it was meditation, which was very difficult for me at the start. I continued in meditation so I could hear the teachings, the teachings, the first noble truth. Suffering is a part of the deal. Great. What a gift. This vow, this I will be helpful, I'm one of the people who believes I stood up and I took a vow, but what's wrong with what I just said? Too much I, right? <laughs> yes, I took a vow. I believe that what happens is over time, if you let it, the vow takes you. I, I believe that, and I'm very grateful for it. I kept living at Zen Center for seven years when it was time for me to leave Zen Center. That had not been in my plan. So I was in my 60s and I had no money and I needed a job. And what I had, I had a teacher and I had a vow. So I trained to become a chaplain. And at the end of the priest ordination ceremony, they say, from this time on, the whole world is your teacher. And that was what it was, oh, it was so great. I was a hospice chaplain for 12 years. It was, except for having to be a part of the medical industrial complex, except for everything being about money, the meetings with the patients were usually great. And Zen training was such a gift in doing that. Because what are we taught? Don't turn away. Right? Don't turn away. Be kind. Steve didn't, he didn't boss me around a lot, but he really made it clear that he wanted me to try to be kind. I remember his using the word dignity once too. <laughs> Settle down, but be kind. He was really happy that I became a chaplain, that I was able to do this work. And in that work, I wasn't being a Buddhist. And when people would ask me, you know, well, what about you? What are you? Um, first, I'd say, well, it doesn't, what matters is you. This is about you. But if they pushed, then I would say, in fact, I'm a Zen Buddhist priest. And very cool in that setting to be able to use the word priest. And I would say, and that, that is only important because that's what brings me to you. So I wasn't teaching meditation or anything like that. The nothing extra of Zen was useful in that work. That work gave me a chance. When I was young, I kind of sneak around and try to, again, what's going on around here? What, 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 are, we, what are we doing? So when I got access to these wonderful old ladies, I began asking them, and, and when people know death is near, a lot of the frills fall away. They're probably more willing to address these questions. So I'd ask these wonderful old ladies, what's the deal? How, how, what do you think about life? How did you do it? And every, every one of those wonderful old ladies said, honey, you just do the next thing. Very simple, nothing fancy, but not that easy. It's not that easy to show up for our own lives, is it? I think the reason we can is because we have each other. 
I feel it in this room. Relationship is all there is. Life is so much too hard to do alone, right? I like to watch reality TV shows too. And this guy, the show's called Alone. So good. They drop people in the wilderness with, they have like a knife and a tarp. And they have to build a little house and they have to catch food. And the last one to tap out wins something. So this guy, he's tapping out really early. He's like, <laughs> and he turns to the camera and he says, <laughs> I'm really glad I thought to tell this. He says, well, the purpose of life is to be happy. I turned to my cat. I said, that guy is really in for it. it, it well, if, the, if we can agree that the purpose of life is to be happy, then we have to really define what does it mean to be happy. And, and I don't. I don't think it means having a fancy car and high heels and red fingernails. I think, I think from my experience working with hundreds of dying people, I think what we want is to be seen. I think we want another person, and it only takes one, to say, you exist. What this means is deep listening which is really hard to do. We live in a world of distractions, and God knows there's plenty to be distracted about anymore, right? To really see another person, to be quiet long enough that they can bring forth what they need to bring forth, to give each other the gift of, I see you, seems to be it. Okay, that's 12 years of my life, wanting to be seen. This is the gift. What I learned early on in that work for myself, the precious, precious gift I was given, because I've already told you I'm an alcoholic and I come from an alcoholic home. Alcoholism is known as the disease of loneliness. So for the first many years of my life, that was my struggle, the struggle with loneliness. And as I was taught in this society, looking for the one perfect person who would make me not be lonely. That's like that guy looking at the camera and saying the purpose is happiness. It's a little risky. So I was sitting with a young man who had early onset dementia, which is really hard. The cognitive dissonance between a young person whose brain is full of holes. It's, it's really hard to witness. I was not turning away. I was sitting with him. At the time that this happened, I had been visiting him for quite a few months. His wife had put him in a care facility and she had left town. That happens. So, so I was going every week. So uh, at this point, he could no longer respond in any way. He was lying on his bed. And I thought to myself again, what am I, what am I supposed to do? What am, I, what am I doing here? What is it? And the first thing I thought was, well, you know, I'm, I'm, showing, I'm showing him that, he, that he's not alone. And I knew from the teachings, too much I 
the heavens, you know, don't worry because I'm here. That's not it. Where that ended up in that silent room with a young man with early onset dementia, my hand was on his arm, was a gift, an enlightenment moment, I'm going to dare to call it, of understanding that he and I together were manifesting the connection that's always there. This is very important. This is the connection, you know, Jim said we just met tonight, but we've always been connected. There's, there's someone in Nebraska right now who we don't know. We are connected to that person. We're not separate from that person. What a gift, huh? To be able to deeply understand that. And then in moments of distress to touch back to that again. My teacher, Steve, when he was diagnosed with the pancreatic cancer that took his life so quickly, was scheduled to give the Dharma talk and um, before he was diagnosed and after the diagnosis, he gave it's a famous talk. It's on the Zen Center website. It's called the Gratitude Talk. And in that talk, my teacher Steve said, the tree is as much a part of me as my shoulder. The sky is as much a part of me as my eyelashes. And the sound of the ocean is the sound of my own breathing. <laughs> That's Steve. And he literally meant it. The tree is as much a part of me as my own shoulder. So suffering, we create a universe in which there's me and there's everything else. That's duality, that's suffering. Dropping that, developing the humility to drop that and actually join actually join the human race <laughs> and join the trees, tiles, pebbles. <laughs> this is um, this is safety. This this is true comfort. So uh, I, I certainly want to say that all of this, all of these understandings, they haven't meant an end to my difficulties. Another of the stories from Suzuki Roshi that I like very much. In the early days, Jim might have been sitting this sashin. It was a, it was a, this comes from Mel. It was a sashin at City Center, and students were not accustomed to sashins. And your first few sashins are really hard. A sashin is where you do nothing but meditate all day for some days on a row. So it was maybe day four, and the students were really, oh, my God. And Suzuki Roshi spoke up and he said, the difficulties you have today, right? And you see the thought bubble over everybody's head. They're, they're going to go away. <laughs> and Suzuki Roshi says, we'll be with you for the rest of your life. So as Popeye said, I am who I am. I have my tendencies. I have my difficulties. But I'm going to say, we don't have to hold them as tightly. I spent some time recently with someone who kept talking about her trauma, and it was as if she had a pet. My trauma, my trauma. No, let it go. Come back to now. Come back to the beauty wow, of being in a room together with, with other people.
I was diagnosed with lymphoma a couple of years ago. I lived. <laughs> I was diagnosed just as I was leaving the house to go lead my group. So right after hearing that I had lymphoma, I had to sit absolutely still for half an hour. It was the, what a gift that was. At the end of that period of meditation, the words, the understanding that arose, and certainly with what I saw working in death and dying contributed to this, it helped. The understanding was, no matter what happens, it will be all right. You're going to live or you're going to die. You're going to be comfortable or it's going to be painful. Life is going to be what life is. Life just keeps on lifing. I heard Roshi Joan Halifax say, stop arguing with life. So I had lymphoma. I got some treatment. But that moment of understanding, no matter what happens, it will be all right. This, to me, is the gift of the Dharma, and I'm glad to have a chance to pass it on to you. The final thing written down here, that's Steve. That's Steve. In our final Dokasan before he got sick, we had, as you can imagine, we worked together for 20 years, and when he knew he was dying, the visits that we had were worth anything. But before he knew he was sick, we had Dokasan, and Steve said to me, I was complaining, because after he became the abbot, it was really hard to get his attention. So I dared to complain. What about me? And Steve said, just because I'm not thinking about you doesn't mean I'm not helping you. So that, too, everyone we've ever known, everyone we haven't even known, they're all helping us as you are helping me and I'm helping you. That's, that's what there is for us to do. That's, honey, that's just the next thing for us to do, is to keep supporting each other in this, <clears throat> in this, difficult, this difficult business of being human. Here's the Issa poem again. So many pieces of paper. A world of dew, and within every dew drop, a world of struggle. So why are we so hard on each other? Why are we so hard on ourselves? A world of struggle. Oh, good, good, good. Let me see if I can find this one. This also comes from Neotai, from Rumi. A man walked past a beggar and asked, why, God, do you not do something for these people? Oh, and God replied, I did something. I made you. <laughs> so that is, I have really enjoyed this immensely. I'm so happy to be here with all of you. That's all I have to say. And we have plenty of time. Is it really only? Oh, <laughs> we have a little bit of time <laughs> for uh, conversation. And you guys, too. Anybody, anything? Who's got here?
Sorry, but you're still muted. <laughs> uh, Reverend uh, Renshin, I had a, a struggle uh, during your talk uh, trying to understand why I feel I've known you for a decade now. I just wanted to let you know that. What's your name? My name's uh, Millard, Millard Voteri. We, we've never met before. We've never met, and I'm really glad to see you again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. You said there was someone in Nebraska that is connected to me. What's this person's name? I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we don't know yet. <laughs> I was just up in your neck of the woods at Prairie Creek Redwoods camping, and I was realized, you know, there's this beautiful forest, and yet I still could feel me. I was getting in the way of the uh, the experience, and it was like, Oh well, that's just what's going to happen, and I will enjoy what I can enjoy, and this person will continue to be there at the same time. That's great. And it, it was a drive. I did the same drive on uh, Thursday. <laughs> um, it's a very long one. I had no idea how long it was. <laughs> but thank you. That was a very good talk. So thank you very much. I think that that moment of waking up and realizing I'm so concerned about myself that I'm not able to enjoy these redwoods, if, if that's, uh -huh. I think that moment is what it's all about. There's not, there's not another trick. Waking up in that moment and doing it enough times, we just get sick of it. Guess what I saw up there? I saw a little bear swimming in a pond. <laughs> I know, a mile from my front door. It's really pretty up there. Now that we've met, the next time you come camping, we can have a cup of tea. But it's yes. that moment, it's that, it's that waking up in the moment. That's the gift. And then forgiving ourselves. Thank you, Jenny. I really have nothing to add. <laughs> um, it, um, I guess I just want to uh, thank Kenny and you for um, saying what was in my thoughts about watching the leaves in my backyard, every single leaf blowing in the wind, each one individual. And, uh, and thinking, why can't I believe my own eyes? What's, um, so, um, 
So I actually, you know, felt some conflict, duality about that. And and uh, to hear, and I was going to say, how do I handle that? But you've explained it. You handled it. Yeah, must be human, huh? Thank you. Yeah, I guess. So I'm still struggling with the imperfection of um, of not of duality. Yep. I still struggle. I, you know, I I I appreciate your your willingness to accept Kenny. Um, appreciating what you can appreciate and letting the rest go, something like that. Nothing extra, nothing special, just life. Let's see if I can find all these pieces of paper. It's another quote from my teacher. Nope, can't find it. Yeah, yeah, we have Helen. two questions in the Zoom. Helen. Hi, Helen. Hey, Ren. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, <laughs> so nothing extra in my multitude of years and also chaplaincy. I found that being helpful was an extra. That it tilted toward an identity that was not helpful, the the identity of helper, which is duality. And so I realized I don't want to be helpful. Yeah. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't want to be codependent. I don't want to be, I'm here to, I'm here to help you. It's so much reciprocity. Anyway, I lost track of being helpful. Yeah. But also, yeah. I wouldn't want to be harmful. Yeah. 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 Glad to see you. It's more of that waking up in the moment. It's wonderful to see you, Helen. Yeah. Yeah. Another yellow hand. Oh, there she is. Hi. Hi, Rinchin. I feel like I, uh, I know you. I've read your book a couple of times. Thank you. Um, the, the one on hospice. Uh, I'm a hospice chaplain. Great. How's it going? Um, well, the reason I'm not there tonight, it was a long day today. Um, so I came home and took a nap. Um, but um, that's going to say something along the lines of, of what Helen said. Um I think there's been a huge movement over the many years that I've been a chaplain and hospice chaplain, just the last seven, um, but uh, chaplain for the last almost 40. Um, there's something about um, 
not trying to be helpful to just be there. And, and, you know, our social workers are helpful. Um, And um, to be able to just be with someone fully and completely and to help them be heard and seen um, isn't about me. It's about Buddha's way. And uh, it's about, um, it's a privilege to be allowed to do that, to be allowed to be that level of present um, is, is a gift um, to both ways. And, um, and it's not about me. And when it becomes about me, I need to not be doing this anymore. Um, it's really powerful. And I wanted to thank you for your book. I wanted to thank you for tonight. Um, I've made the drive up and back many times. Oh. Our children live in Arcata. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so that's a long ass drive. Um, but, um, yeah, thank you for coming down and being here. And, uh, next time we're up there, which will probably be over the holidays, um, I'll give you a, a, a chat. Maybe we can get together. Yeah. I'd like to do that. I've wanted to meet you for a long time. So easy, easy to find. I, I yeah. think I'm, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say that people with Buddhist training have a head start in being useful as chaplains, but the teachings and the training really, really are useful. Oh, yeah. My practice, Zen practice, has taken my – I didn't come to Zen practice till later, and my Zen practice has taken my chaplaincy and just taken yeah. it into a different place. Yeah. Thank you so I'm, much, Renchen. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing the work. I'm, I'm glad to be retired myself. Very nice well, to meet you. Um, my doctor keeps, and he'll ask me again on Wednesday, um, uh, <laughs> why aren't you retired, Meg? And it's because I, I, when it's time to retire, I'll know. Yeah, I knew. Housing costs are quite low in Eureka, plus guess what? Little bears swimming in ponds. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> I have a husband and I need to continue to care for her. So. Thank you so much for your talk. It's beautiful. Are you and the person who just came back from somewhere? Yes. I, um, three months ago, moved about 1,200 miles away. I'm back for this week of visit. Um, and there's something remarkable about getting uprooted and moving someplace new. It's like waking up because nothing is really familiar. You can't, there's not as many things to grab and attach. Um, And I'm having this really remarkable time of not just seeing other humans, but seeing plants I walk, <laughs> I walk every day along a creek and in an urban setting, and I encounter plants I saw yesterday. 
and oh, isn't that interesting the way you're showing your face today? <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm sure if people heard me on the street, they would think I was crazy, but I'm not crazy. <laughs> so the uh, question I have is, will I have the ability to retain this openness, this awareness, this seeing everything, not just other human beings, but all beings. Will I have this ability as I begin to get more comfortable in my new setting? And by the way, in all of this, the quality of my zazen is remarkable. Thank you. So would you please look at your notes and remind us what Suzuki Roshi said when Chadwick asked him to sum up all of Buddhism? Everything changes. <laughs> You're a very good student. Everything changes. And can we remember that? Ah, there we are. <laughs> That's why we need each other. To keep reminding each other. How does someone uh, incorporate uh, Zen Buddhism into a 12-step program? Yeah. Uh, Oh, John. When I was active in AA in San Francisco in the 80s, it was very Christian. The group agreement was you asked God for help and God gave it to you or God didn't give it to you. I think that's very, it is very tricky to incorporate that with this practice. There is no God. There is no outside force in Buddhism. I think I probably made that clear. It's all what's happening on the inside. I started meditating because the word meditation is there in the 11th step. That's the only reason I went to have my first meditation class. I would expect there are groups, there are groups, probably not Zen Buddhist AA meetings, but I know that in San Francisco at that time there were some groups of um, that were not God-centered. I'm going to say, too, when I began working as a chaplain and I was talking with people about God, because at that time I thought that's what they wanted to talk about, I realized I had to come to an understanding of what I meant when I said God, that I had to be I had to be honest with myself. Honest isn't quite the word. I had to be authentic. And yes, and people did want to talk about God. So I have, I've settled that question for myself. It's up to you to settle it for yourself. One of my very good friends was an Episcopalian and a Zen Buddhist. I've never understood how he pulled it off, but there are people who are both. So I'm just blabbering. I don't have the answer to your question. <laughs> there, is, there is a Buddhist recovery group 
Oh. Saturday night. So for the record, I'm going to say into the mic, we've just learned that there's a Buddhist recovery group that meets in this room Saturday nights. There's a good start. Good luck to you. And as I've been saying to other people, my email is renshin at gmail, my first name, R-E-N-S-H-I-N. And if you want to continue the conversation, all you have to do is ask. Yep. Yep sober since my first meeting and it was not easy and it's worth it anybody else we'll come to you cynthia uh thank you renshin very much i i have a question about uh you're talking about you know that we're not meant to be alone um I think that's what you said anyway. Uh, no. No. I, I, maybe I misunderstood that then. Go ahead with your question. Well, I, what my comment was just going to be that I find that it's so much easier for me to be alone in, in some ways, and, and it's easier for me to feel connection when I'm alone, <laughs> sometimes anyway. I, I, I don't know, it's hard to... I know, because people are so damned irritating, completely. Yeah. I know. And I can, I can notice the leaves, you know, I notice the leaves, I notice the, the light, or whatever it is, or the way I'm, you know, <laughs> drinking something, or whatever, or, or, or making a cake, I don't know. Anyway, I just notice things more when I... I love being alone. Yeah, I do too. But I also think, I mean, I was, the way I've thought of Zazen is that it's um, a great way to be with people alone. Yeah. Alone um, with others. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and they can't you, talk, so a whole right. bunch of problems are eliminated right there. <laughs> right. They still can be irritating, though. <laughs> So yeah. I don't know if there's a question there, but I, I'm glad you care. I think you clarified it anyway. Okay. About, about uh, <laughs> okay. alone and uh, being being one, I guess, being one with, but there is no separation. Maybe it's that thing about the difference between being alone and being lonely. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being lonely is a terrible feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think probably the point I was trying to make is that is suffering that we create for ourselves. But yes, being alone is delicious. Yeah, that's a big difference. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to catch Cynthia. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hey, Renshin. Thank you so very much. Um, this is the first time I've ever, apart from Spot, ever heard you give a Dharma talk, and it was just wonderful. It was thank so you. helpful. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank right. you. One of my best friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I, I actually uh, uh, just want, I don't know how, what people can read in the, the chat on Zoom, but to the person's question, in addition to what's at Valley Stream through the San Francisco Zen Center and then Hartford, there's a meditation and recovery, precisely because it's really hard to make that translation between, for many of us, between big book, Christian language and whatnot, and uh, Zen, but that's what we, uh, Buddhism, that's what we do in that. Um, Ren, I'm wondering if 
you know, in terms of talking about non-self, for some reason, what kept coming up for me was, you know, um, to study the way is to study the self, to study the self is to forget the self. And I think that's a that's kind of a, a tricky process for it's tricky to articulate, which is what I'm going to ask you to try and do. Uh, in terms of how that happened for you so that you could actually come to this point more quickly where it's like, oh, wait a second. It's not Ren. It's interdependence. It's co-creation. Um, and <laughs> she asks me the easy questions. <laughs> Cynthia, Cynthia, you didn't. Let's go on to the third line from Dogen. This this is a famous part of Genjo Koan. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the 10,000 things. Right. So this is my story of sitting there with the man with early onset dementia. Yeah. I, yeah. I maintain that he and I together had an experience of being actualized by the 10,000 things. So would would you say then that it was actually by going to that that third step of it, if you will, to kind of be break it into discrete parts that allowed you to then let the self fall away. It's by having that direct experience that's you know kind of ineffable that lets you understand it. I don't think it's I don't think there's anything that we can do to make it happen. I, I my usual answer is the trick was desperation mm, yeah yeah trying taking every other shot i had and in and in the gift of that moment having space to ask what is going on here and having and bringing training to that mm. but it, it's a gift mm-hmm. once i once i asked steve um, are, is what we're doing in Zazen, this, this is going to be good, is what we're doing in Zazen, is my job to create the empty field so if enlightenment is moving around the Zendo looking for a place to land, <laughs> and Steve said, you know, that's pretty good. So let's apply the same to sitting with that man. Mm-hmm. Just create, mm-hmm. just to have the nerve to create the empty field because we don't know what is going to land there. Is that a satisfactory answer, my friend? That is perfect. Thank you. Oh, it's, oh. It's, ama- it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's um, it's it's five minutes to nine. I think I've been prompted to say something about the Donna basket. Oh, thank you. We have a Donna basket. (laughs) It's on the back table. And also for those on Zoom, there's been placed in the announcement chat function uh, a PayPal account address. And you can make a donation to Renshin uh, through that online vehicle. And uh, we encourage uh, supporting our teachers in this way. 
I appreciate it very much. It's part of our expression of interdependence. <laughs> Hopefully some electricity was used too. Okay.